Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us again for another episode of All Things Evangelism. I am privileged to be here with my workmate and colleague, uh, Bethany Chapman. She's the women's ministry leader for the North New South Wales Conference. And uh, we today, uh, in this episode of All Things Evangelism, are talking about women in evangelism or women evangelists. And so um, I'm excited to have you here, Bethany. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> Thank you for joining me. It's cool uh, to be able to week after week talk about things that are relevant to personal witnessing and soul winning ministry. And so a lot of times when a skeptically minded person considers scripture, they see it as uh, an ancient document that was written by kind of patriarchal figures, which in a sense it kind of was, but they, the patriarchal figures who provided no opportunity and no place for women. And the God of the Bible is just this, you know, concoction of, of ancient men that was just, you know, utterly uncharmed by women. And, you know, they just kind of suppose that scripture is a place where women have no place. Mm. And uh, you're the women's ministries leader. And so I thought, well, you know, I don't see that to be the case. The scripture is filled with powerful, godly women who did extraordinary things to advance God's kingdom of grace and love. And so we, we just need to spend some time talking about that because modern women have, just as much as ancient women, a, a real contribution to make. So I wanted to have you on. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you, those who are listening, for just honouring us with your time and for being present with us as we have this conversation. That's it. And I love what you brought up about the patriarchy and the time and the culture and the context of scripture because I think it's super important to acknowledge that the Bible doesn't just come to us from nowhere directly from God but rather that over and over again we see that God chooses ordinary humanity to work through and that's what we've got that's what God uses that's what he's got he could have chosen angels he could have chosen zapping it out of nowhere but he chose humanity because right from creation his plan has been to glorify himself in and through us and so that's what we also have in scripture is this book where God is revealing himself in and through us and so it's not just God directly but it's God stepping into humanity with where they are at and it mm. started in the ancient Near East and yeah they were pretty horrible to women back then mm-hmm. but the God of scripture reveals a new way of living and a new way of understanding and a new culture that is above and beyond what his people were living in in that time. That's right. And that is super empowering to women. Amen. Amen. And, you know, sometimes people view the past with what I would say are oversimplified lenses, right? Mm. And they presume that today we've just got everything perfect. But in <laughs> yeah. the past, they were just so twisted. So we highlight the flaws of the past and we downplay the flaws of the present because, you know, the present is where we live. Best. And and the fact of reality is that human history is just littered with cruelty, oppression, and hardship. And, and a lot of times it's because of human behavior that that's the case. And for men and for women, the past was brutal and terrible and horrible. Mm. And guess what? So is the present for like 75% of the world, right? Mm. So we kind of live in this Western bubble where we just suppose like, you know, boy, we've arrived, you know, but at the apex of every civilization, that's kind of what people thought too, before it came crumbling down. Yeah, you're not wrong. (laughs) But yeah, you know, it's funny, because if you consider the ancient world with all the texts and and whatever writings that you could gather together, wouldn't wouldn't you think that the scripture would be exceptional in its, its not just portrayal of women, but of its 
the place that it provide, provided for women in that time. Mm, mm, absolutely, it, because you see the elevation of women as messengers for God. You see the elevation of women in the lineage of the Messiah of Jesus Christ. Um, and you even see the downfall of kings, which in other historical documents, they're not going to tell you about the bad things that kings do because they want the kings to look good because it's history. But here we don't just have a history book. We have a book that talks about humanity and how God interacts with those of us who are struggling to live our everyday lives. Amen. I love what you said too, that God works through actual humanity. Mm. And so just, there's so much that could be broken down from that statement. So when I look into scripture, not everything is prescriptive because not everything is God speaking like to me and saying, this is ideal. Mm. But rather he's telling me a story through imperfect humanity. Mm. And so, yeah, not, I've heard someone say that not all scripture is prescriptive. A lot of it is just descriptive. Mm. And there's lessons in those descriptions. And the descriptions themselves are not to be taken as like the pattern that you follow. So... You know, God describes that that Solomon had many wives, but he's not prescribing that I should have yes. tons, yep. right? So yep. you just so when you look at the scripture and the, the way everything is playing out, you don't immediately assume, boy, everything is exactly how God wanted it to be at all times. So, but he's working through it. Yeah. And the yeah. only real model of true humanity that we can measure our lives up against and follow is Christ. The rest of the the important people that we see in scripture they, just like the rest of us, they do good, they do bad, they do right, they do wrong. And they keep juggling through life. But the difference between them and their, their um, what's the word, people of their time, mm-hmm. is that they followed God and they lived out their life under the kingdom of God. Totally. So, so we're talking today about women evangelists. And I, I wanted to have this conversation because I think that women bring a unique contribution to our mission and our evangelistic, uh, yeah, ta- our, our mission, our evangelistic mission given us, us by God. So, so um, because I think women are distinct and unique and, and different. I think, you know, in the beginning it says that God made the human race male and female. Yeah. Uh, and so he divides the race into two distinct halves. Yeah. And then he combines those halves and together they combine to make, in the fullest sense, the image of God. Mm. I would actually say maybe that's not, not perfectly correct. Maybe it's the family in mm. totality that, that combines together to make the image of God. But you've got male, you've got female. The two are very different, distinct, but they come together, they become one, and that produces life. Mm. And that's the image of God, right? The image of unselfish love. And so I've always felt that you, you remove the distinction of female or you remove the distinction of male, and you have, to some degree, effaced the image of God Yes. Amen. Yeah. And so when we're talking about the mission of the Adventist church, when we're talking about the mission of the Christian church, we also need to talk about the unique contribution that males and females bring into the, to the evangelistic mission because males and females are equal halves of the human race who combine together to make up the image of God. Absolutely. And you see that throughout the story of Christ and in the Gospels that over and over again, there are these female stories that are woven into how Jesus chooses to operate and how mm. Jesus chooses to spread his word and his mission and his life to people mm. is through both men and women alike, which is really countercultural of Jesus. And um, when we read, especially in the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of John, when we read those Gospels, like the women are just elevated in a way that was really countercultural for that time. You said something to me before we started to record, and I was just like, that's heavy. And it was about, it was about Mary. 
Mm. sitting at the feet of Jesus. Could you kind of break that down a bit? Yeah, so in Luke chapter 10, um, we have this story that I believe it is unique to Luke. And it's a story of Mary and Martha, the two sisters. And that basically just Jesus and his disciples rock up at their house. And as a lady, when a whole bunch of dudes who are hungry rock up at your house, that's a pretty stressful time. So Martha's having a really stressful time. And she's like, okay, I've got to do the hospitality thing. I've got to look after all these people. And the whole time her sister is sitting at the feet of Christ. And she gets really, really cranky. And she goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, look at all the hard work I am doing. My sister is doing nothing. She's just sitting there. And then Jesus says, no, Martha, come and sit with Mary. Mary has chosen the better thing. She's chosen the good thing. She's chosen, I think it says the good portion. She's chosen that. And he's talking about himself. And what's actually really interesting is that both of these women were considered disciples of Jesus because over and over again, they're his friends. They're part of his um, ministry, part of his the people that travel with him. And Mary is taking that posture of a disciple in this particular case, which is a really, rabbis didn't do that. They didn't have women sit at their feet. If you wanted to learn from a rabbi, he sat at the rabbi's feet. And here we find Mm -hmm. Mary, a woman, sitting at the feet of this rabbi, of Jesus, who's saying, women learn here too, women follow me too, women are my disciples too. And even to Martha, he says, put down all of your utensils and come and do the better thing, which is be a disciple of mine. It's so interesting because Jesus calls James, John, Peter, Andrew, and they're fishing. And he says, you know, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So they they have to leave their nets. And in this example, you kind of see... You know, Mary, who traditionally would be, she's doing domestic responsibilities, and she stops that. She leaves that to sit at the feet of Jesus. It's almost like there's a corollary there, right? Yeah, that's really cool. I hadn't thought of that. But yeah, it's a similar idea of like, put down down what's in your hands and come and be with Jesus and do the, the better thing. In the Gospels, there are men who they forego their businesses and their respective responsibilities so that they can commit fully their time and their energy to just focusing on Jesus, focusing on Christ, and being trained mm. to, to walk in his footsteps. And then there are women who do that too, and this is an example. Yeah, yeah. She's, she, her life is being, you know, it's, I heard someone say once that God, he's very disruptive. Like Jesus is disruptive. Mm. And you see that in his life. He's disrupting. When he called, in the, the, the series The Chosen, right? Yeah. Which is focusing on Jesus choosing his followers. He disrupts all of their lives. Like yeah. he's just... You know, you're at the tax collector table, you got a career, money, possessions, wealth, and he's like, follow me. Like, that's disruptive because yeah. to follow. So, yeah, this is cool. So you see this with Mary. Yeah, absolutely. And again, like you were saying about um, how he had all the different disciples, like there were women among the disciples of Jesus as well. You read about it in Luke chapter 8. It talks about how there's a group of women who not only follow Jesus, but they support him with the means of their finances and that they're part of his group of people that go around with him and travel with him. And so when you typically when you see the paintings of Jesus with the disciples and the movies of Jesus with the disciples, you imagine a group of men walking around. But here in Luke chapter 8, you actually see that it is a mixed gender group who are on this journey with Jesus, which Mm. is pretty cool. It's amazing. So you, Bethany, are a mum. Yes. You're a minister. You are a wife. Mm. Okay. So I think, it, and you're you're a woman. Uh, <laughs> so, so, you're, so, so I'm going to ask you, if you could, to share what you think are some practical, personal lessons that any woman can, can get from that Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. So what does that say to the modern 
woman, mm. right? Practically, personally, because I think that many could see themselves like as Martha, right? Like they're being overwhelmed by the pressures of life and the, the just day-to-day responsibilities and whatever. So what are, what are your thoughts there? Are there any kind of things that you would give like as exhortation to women from that passage? Yeah, I am a chronic um, over-functioner, especially when it comes to stress. Like I believe that pressure makes diamonds and I just go, go, go when, um, when I'm stressed, when life comes my way. And I think that especially as a modern woman, like we've really been sold this story that you can have it all, that you can do all of the things as a woman. And so when it comes to like outsourcing things or needing help with things, we really struggle to ask for help. We really struggle to not want to do it all ourselves. And that is such um, an industrious way of thinking about you as a human being. You are not the total sum of all the things that you achieve. You are and need to find your identity as a daughter of Christ. And as like as a mother, as a woman who works, as a minister, there's always so many things that need you. There are always so many things that are urgent and important and pressing. But our relationship with Christ, it is never pressing. He is always patient. He is always kind. He is always waiting. And so if we don't put him first, then that's where he stays. And so we need to be intentional about that time that we carve out with him. And you can do it, but sometimes you have to ask for help to be able to find that time or to be able to carve out that time. Or sometimes you have to make a sacrifice in another place to be able to find that time as well. I love what Jesus says when he says, she has chosen the good part, that which will not be taken from her, Mm. which would imply that what Mary is doing is, is work that will eventually be work that she cannot do. It's like, it, it almost seems that the implication is there's a lot of things you have to do here on this earth, but when you transition to the next you know, life, all that stuff is, it becomes inconsequential. Yeah. But there's one thing that will remain forever, a relationship with God. So prioritize that mm, rather than get absorbed in the stresses and pressures of life. Because, I mean, how does that prepare you for the thing that will last forever, right? Mm-hmm. So if the, th- if the thing that's going to last forever is interacting with Jesus on a deep personal level, well, then guess what? Like you should cultivate the ability to do that, like because that's what you're gonna. That's what eternity is about. You know, yeah. it's funny because I have. I want to say this, and I don't know how to say it in the most accurate way, but I'm always. <laughs> I can see you're like thinking I'm, of a how. Yeah, I want to say this in a way that's understood. So I, I'm making myself understood. So I'm always excited when I find women who love scripture. I just I think it's a wonderful thing, and I'm not saying this because. Well, see, I, I'm just I just can get myself in trouble. That's all. That's that's, <laughs> that's why I'm being hesitant. So, I have in my own experience noticed, like you know, just imagine yourself Sabbath afternoon. Uh, the guys are over there having their conversation. The girls are over there having their conversation, and oftentimes the guys are you know deep theology, philosophy. They'll venture into politics. You know, everyone talks about whatever. Um, I am just thrilled when I find women who take their relationship with God so seriously that they become careful and serious students of Scripture, and they don't allow themselves to just ride the coattails of, other, of men in their lives' religious experiences. 
it's not to say that we don't depend on each other, we don't lean on each other, we don't count on each other as men and women. And so there are oftentimes cases where a husband just kind of sails on the coattails of his wife's experience with God and vice versa. But I love seeing situations where, you know, women and men individually are, are just loving Scripture, into Scripture, and that's just Mary to me, right? Mm-hmm. She's sitting at Jesus' feet. So she she could easily become kind of set in the kind of cultural mold of you're just over there doing the dishes and there's there's honor in that like that's the beautiful thing she's serving like there's nothing wrong with that yeah but but there's something more important mm. yes exactly and I, I'm interested to like find your social circles and come and sit with these guys who are talking about scripture because so often even in church culture even among believers like when you're not in church or when you're not in that spiritual space people Mm -hmm. are talking about things that are not of God or just the ordinary mundane everyday life stuff and I believe that God is in our ordinary everyday life stuff and like you said like there is honor in the serving but so often we don't let our spiritual lives permeate more than that one hour a week or more than that small time that we've sectioned off as spiritual time rather than being a spiritual person in all of our time Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, that's it. I think that there are certain circles in our church where like the circles that I kind of came up in, we had like the guys were just theology junkies, right? We're studying scripture, digging into scripture, contemplating scripture, like just sharing it with each other. And a lot of the women who were married to those men in that little circle we're just kind of riding on the coattails of their husbands. But then I've, I've also come into contact with other circles where there's groups of men who are riding the coattails of their women's. So I didn't want to sound one-sided. That's why yeah. I was, because my local scenario has been one where I have uh, a lot of the women, I've encountered godly, spiritual women. Um, and I can name a few right now. Like, And I love it because there's something so unique and powerful that they bring to ministry. There was a lady named Carol Torres who when I first came to Christ, she gave a sermon and she carried with her this feminine dignity. And I don't know what else to call it besides that. It was like a feminine dignity that she just looked so regal and so powerful as she presented. But it wasn't a a male kind of a power. It was just uniquely, distinctly female. And I remember as a young man, when I was listening to her, her words had this disarming power that was so enchanting and inspiring to me. I felt like I was I was listening to my spiritual mom. And it was just different than listening to guy preachers and and I loved it and I was so moved by it. And so that that just was the first kind of indication to me of how important it is that women are involved in communicating faith and being deep students of scripture mm-hmm. to share it with the world because they're going to share it in a way that I'm not going to share it. And they're they're, you know, men and women we're the same in so many ways, but we are different in certain fundamental ways. And so, yeah, anyways. Yeah, I love that you talk about how you notice the difference in her when you heard her speak, because so often women don't step into those spaces and put themselves out there and do the cultivating that comes with being able to stand in those places and hold that environment of people like that, because we're so busy doing all the other stuff that we're not cultivating ourselves in Christ or we're so busy allowing the men to step forward that we don't recognize that in us also is the spirit of God and he has also asked some of us to speak as well. And so it's super important that we, like you said before about, I loved how you said the word cultivate. I really played on my brain that that we need to cultivate. It's something that you don't just accidentally do, that you actually need to put in the time, the effort, the energy and the space mm-hmm to make a life lived in God happen. Absolutely. 
Cool. So scripturally, what are some other just places you find yourself when, when it comes to seeing evangelistically kind of motivated women? Well, I've got like a bunch here that I'm really excited about. And I mostly just went with the New Testament because um, I didn't want to go like that. If you look, yes, women are scattered throughout scripture right? so many times. And sometimes it will just be like the word daughters, but you'll miss it. And so like there's daughters who build the wall in Nehemiah. There's daughters who are allotted land in Joshua when everybody else is getting land. There are times when it is also women. And so many times we just don't see the significance in that because it's in a boring genealogy or we <laughs> yes. <laughs> we a story it. of Moses where there's women who come to him and say, Hey, listen, the law doesn't account for the fact that we're here and our, our brothers have died. Do we get the land? And he's like, yep, totally. And God's yep. like, yes, you do get the land. Yeah. You as a female get the right of inheritance. Yeah. yeah. And even like the, the midwives in Exodus who in the face of a tyrant of a King Pharaoh hide the babies so that they cannot be destroyed, yep. so that a nation is not destroyed, so that God's people are not destroyed. And then God goes on and does a powerful thing, but he couldn't have done that without those women defying that terrifying man. And I just think that's so cool. gives me goosebumps right now. But um, did you want to talk about the woman at the well? Totally. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe it. <laughs> yes. So I can't decide whether she is the first evangelist or whether the demoniac man is the first evangelist. Ladies Depends first. which gospel Ladies you read. first. But either way, neither of them are Jews. Neither of them are um, people that would have been traditionally thought of as being the ones that God had chosen. Mm-hmm. And in John chapter 4, you read about this woman, and she's a Samaritan woman. And it says in John chapter 4, in verse 4, that Jesus had to go through Samaria. But he didn't, because Jews didn't. And they didn't like going there, and they avoided it at all costs. And they took an extra day's journey just to not go through there. But Jesus had to go there, because Jesus had in mind an encounter with this woman. And he goes through Samaria to meet this woman, and it just you read through that first part of John chapter four, like verses one to ten, about just how Jesus is setting this woman up to meet him in this space. And he sits it at a particular time of the day and he sends his disciples away so that they don't say something and put their foot in their mouth. And, <laughs> and it's almost like he doesn't trust them. Like I, I've got this very important engagement and hey, can you just go eat some food? I'm gonna be <laughs> well, the first thing that they do when they come back is like, why are you talking to her? Because he shouldn't have talked to her because she was a woman on her own. He shouldn't have talked to her because she was a Samaritan and Jews by birthright and by blood hated Samaritans. And he shouldn't have been in that town because any decent Jewish man would have traveled in another direction and yet here he is setting up a divine appointment with her and more than that she is not a woman of honor or a woman of power or a woman of great leadership she is a woman who's been abused abandoned and left out of society which is why she comes to the well in the hottest part of the day and she's ashamed to meet with other women and Jesus even says to her go and tell your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right. You've been married five times and you're living with somebody else. And it makes you wonder like how she gets into this scenario. And sometimes she's been painted as this like scarlet woman who's like not very um, holy or or good. But I, I actually see her as somebody who's been really mistreated by the society that's supposed to look after her. Because the Samaritans are people who followed scripture as well. And so 
because they were a little bit Jewish, but they're also a little bit of everything. And the Samaritans believed basically in God, but they were mixed in with a whole lot of other things and they believed in the God of Scripture. And um, this woman hasn't been protected by her people because when somebody gets married, if her husband dies, then she's supposed to marry the brother so that then she can produce an heir so that she's not on her own. But she's gotten to a point where somebody said, hey, I'm actually not going to marry you. And you see that in the story of Tamar played out in Genesis where this woman whose husbands keep dying and has no children is perceived as being barren or cursed or not okay. And so we see this woman here who's somehow society's decided she's not okay. But Jesus meets her in this place and says, I have a special job for you. And it's to tell a whole town and to witness to a whole town and to spread my word in a way that I haven't even sent my disciples yet to do. Hectic. So good. You know, there's this statement. Okay, so so Jesus is meeting with a Samaritan, a non-Jew. The idea of that, it's just alone, mm. is like, what? To the Jewish establishment, the high-level religious leaders, the disciples would have thought, that's silly. Like, you're wasting your time. And then he, here's Jesus who who interacts with her, reveals himself to her, and then she gets so fired up, she goes and tells everyone. Yeah. What do you think of the fact that he didn't instruct her to do it? No, he just told her who he was. She left her water jar and she ran back and said, this is a man who has told me everything I've ever done. Come and see the Messiah. And do you think anything about the fact that she didn't have any training? Yeah, I love that. She didn't, she didn't go she to Arise. One, she didn't she, go to Avondale. Yeah. <laughs> With all due respect to the dignity of those programs and what God accomplishes through them, you have here a woman who's just interacted with Jesus and the leaving her water pots, it's like, she's out. <laughs> like She's yeah. like, see ya, like what? And she goes and does this and she's effective. Mm-hmm. It's, it's one of the things that I love as a student of scripture is that this book can be read from somebody who, like I met a man who taught himself to read by reading the Bible. And he became a disciple of Jesus. And this book can be read by people who have doctorates and PhDs and and understand the wealth of the language and the culture and all of the things that was written in. But both can understand and both can carry the Holy Spirit and both can find God in that place. And that's what I love about scripture. And here we have this woman who knows nothing except for this man who has revealed himself as the Messiah. And she's gone back and said, he is the one. You have to see him. You have to know him. He's changed my life in a moment. <laughs> it's, she reminds me of John 9, where the guy stands before the religious leadership and says, I don't know if this guy's a sinner. Because they're, <laughs> they're having a theological discussion. You could, you could, you yeah, could, they're you debating could read about him. It's a nature of Christ discussion. Mm. Like, is he a sinner or is he not? Like, they're like, give God glory, not this man. We know he's a sinner. And he's like, well... I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he's a sinner. Maybe he's not. But I know something. I know one thing. I used to be blind. I can see now. Yeah. And, and so here's this guy. He's chosen by Jesus, yet he's just been blind his whole life. Mm. And so you've got the Samaritan woman. She's the same. So she's effective. An entire village comes to Jesus because of her. Yeah. What does this say to the modern woman? Um, just... Don't underestimate the power of the influence of what you can speak from your life and your connection with Jesus. Mm -hmm. I think so often we think 
like even today, like I've got like a whole paper page worth of notes to come and talk to you. And so often we want to be prepared. We want to be planned. We want to be the person who knows stuff. My sister-in-law started a new job today and she said, I'm so nervous. I don't, I haven't been, I've been out of the workforce for ages. I just had a baby. And I said, nobody likes being the person who doesn't know how to do stuff. I hate going to the gym and being the most uncoordinated person in the room when I'm lifting weights. I hate knowing that I come into the office and I've had been working from home for a while because of COVID and I've forgotten how to use the copier. But people don't like not knowing. And so often we want to prepare ourselves. We want to guard ourselves. We want to cloak up with all this bulky ammunition. And here Jesus says, no, take what I've given you and go. Because what I am is enough for you to share. The other day I was watching The Chosen. Oh, and so good. the scene, if you guys haven't seen it, there's this movie that's been produced, a series, a television series that's been produced called The Chosen, and it's about Jesus and him choosing the disciples. Uh, it's, it's, the, it's the best production, of, video production or film production of Jesus I've ever seen. Like, I hands agree. down, like nothing, yeah. nothing's even close. So in many my things are cheesy or B-grade, and it's just so no. beautiful and so biblical. So and, powerful. Yeah. And, and they just weave in little little connections and the interlocking parts of the story. It's brilliant. Mm. And the scene where Nicodemus and Jesus are talking, it just I watched it the other day after lunch with my sons when Sharice was off working at the hospital. And it was just that scene where Jesus and Nicodemus are talking. I just remember, like, I hadn't had a good day of prayer and devotion that, that day. I did spend some time with God in the morning, but I wasn't as connected to Jesus as I needed to be. And I wasn't really prepared for the day. My responsibilities as a dad, my care for my sons. It was a boy's day because mom's at work. Boys are there home. And, you know, there's a real work I need to do as a dad because these little boys need my guidance, my love, you know, whatever. And, I, and you know, you fail at that. And, and it takes a lot of work and effort. And you need to be prepared. So anyways, I'm trying to set, it, set the stage for the point. But I remember just, just seeing that scene for a second and just... It was just like inspiration, mm. like just Jesus, his person, his mission, what he was here for, what he accomplished, what he's up to now. It was just like, you know, you have these little golden moments, Ellen White says, these golden moments where it's just your soul and your mind and your heart connect to God, to the infinite creative power of God through the gospel of Jesus. And it's like, it's, it's like you're there. You're there. You're where you need to be. And I'm not saying, I'm not trying to over-spiritualize the ministry or evangelism or any of that stuff, but it's it just, I'm making the point that when you connect with Jesus on a personal level and you, you, de- and you really get, you know, you see him as he is and he reveals himself to you, you now immediately, without preparation or training, or you just go share. And it's this spiritual sharing of life from one person to another. It's not this mechanical you know, task that you have to have a certain amount of discipline to accomplish. Anyway, so I think yeah. you get my point. Yeah, no, I I'm totally rambling agree. on a bit, but that's it's it's just powerful. It's what happens to her. Yeah, and it, it made me think of something. Um, so many times in my ministry as a pastor, the people that I have encountered who have wanted to know more about God has not been anything to do with the four years that I spent at college or the 10 years that I've spent in ministry, but rather that I've been brave enough to speak to a person and to mention God in that scenario. Mm -hmm. And 
that doesn't come with training. That comes with bravery and courage and putting yourself out there and allowing the Holy Spirit to connect with that person. And so many times, even as a pastor, the the contacts that I've received or followed up have been people who have been genuinely seeking God. And you don't know who's already seeking or has been up until this point where you make this conversation or you are brave enough to show up in that space and let God use you as well. Totally. I wonder if if the witness of the Samaritan woman was enhanced mm. by the fact that she was just like this person who had had multiple husbands and was living with a man that wasn't her husband. How did she, who was someone of low station in her society, have such a powerful impact? Mm. Sometimes we think that that our mistakes disqualify us from witnessing, but sometimes they're the thing that make our witness even seem more powerful because people can see the change. Yes. So there must've been something in how she communicated where they were like, something's happened to her. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's funny how that works. We sometimes think like, man, all these mistakes in my past, these, you know, perspectives people have about me, whether it's because I'm a woman or because I'm a failure or because I'm a whatever. And then, but when you connect with Jesus and then go witness, there's something that shows that almost makes people like stand up and take notice. Like, wait a second, something's really happened to this person. Like the demoniac where Mm. people, when they see him, they're like, they were scared. The Bible says like they were afraid Mm. because they, they're just like some is undeniable. Something different, Mm. something different about this guy. Anyways. And I love how you brought up Nicodemus because over and over again, you see in the gospels, especially that Jesus doesn't use the important, the educated, the well-positioned in society that he uses the low, the outcast, the unimportant to go and to spread his message. So Nicodemus was all of the good things. And yet, when did he come to Christ? In the middle of the night scared. This woman, whose story is straight after in John chapter 4, comes to Jesus in the middle of the day and goes and tells everyone and doesn't go home afraid and keep it to herself. And I just love the contrast between those two as well, that it doesn't matter who you are or how educated you are or how important you are or how on purpose you think your life is, God can still scoop you up from wherever you are and use you for his kingdom. Amen. Hey, so, okay, just to end, because our time's up. Yes. What, uh, just some parting words of wisdom from Bethany. Okay. So this is what I want to say for our female listeners particularly. So many times I think the way that our church is set up is for you to take a backseat and the way that our society is set up for you to take a backseat and for you to not share your your wisdom, your understanding and your connection with God. But your connection with God is so important and your testimony is so important and you have something to say that God has put in your heart and he doesn't want you to hold on to that. And I'm reminded of John chapter 20 when we see Mary Magdalene as the first evangelist for telling the good news, proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. And she goes back and tells that to a room full of men who are terrified. And if I don't think that Jesus did that by accident. I think that Jesus chose a woman to be sent to a group full of men to show that he uses no matter our gender, no matter who we are, no matter our boundaries, no matter how important we are on the ranking of humanity and the scale of humanity and the things that we do, but rather that who he is makes us important. So cultivate your connection with Christ. Make that time out of your stuff. Put something down and pick up your Bible and connect with Jesus and know that through you, he wants to do something and he wants to share his gospel with the world. 
Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Bethany, for joining me. I really hope that everyone out there is a little bit more inspired uh, and a little bit more motivated to get out there and share Jesus with their friends, with their family, and to realize that if in the ancient world, God raised up these, these particular women that we were referencing today to make a serious impact for the kingdom of God, surely he can do that with you today. Mm -hmm. uh, whether you're male or female, God wants to use you to bring people into the kingdom of eternity. So God bless you. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us and take care.